Well, let us now turn to the scriptures and uh, to Amos chapter 7. I'll read the first 13 verses. We're going to cover the, the first uh, two-thirds of this chapter, which is not that long, but it uh, makes up a, a unit and uh, uh, some goodly themes there. And so let us turn to Amos chapter 7. And let me read 1 through verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> uh, Thus, the Lord God showed me, Behold! He formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings. And so it was when they had finished eating the grass of the land that I said, O oh Lord God, forgive, I pray, oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, the Lord God called for conflict by fire, and it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. Then I said, O Lord God, cease, I pray, all that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. Thus he showed me, behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line and a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. The high places of Israel shall be desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise, I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to hear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. And then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seers, flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread, and there prophesy, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the royal residence. May the Lord bless this reading to our understanding. The title of the message is uh, Locusts and uh, Grasshoppers. After the sermon, we'll sing a, a the Psalm 105. And in verse 34 of that psalm, it says, He spoke, the locusts came, and lay, ate up all the vegetation of the land. And with these first three uh, citations of curse or God's vengeance upon Israel, the locusts, the fire, and the plumb line, it's as if God is saying through the prophet Amos, I've spoken to you uh, from the times of Joshua and Moses. I've spoken to you about bringing your life into line with my word. I've preached to you, I've prophesied to you through people like Elijah and Elisha uh, and uh, earlier prophets. I've spoken to you about these things, but you will, you have not heard my word. 
you've dismissed it. It just wasn't a big thing for you. There were other things that as soon as you think of the Word of God, other things would crowd that out of your mind. And you'd focus on them. And it's like the Lord said, okay, I've, heard, I've seen what is going on here. I've, uh, I've, uh, I've seen what you've been doing. And uh, now I'm going to bring judgments upon you. You weren't ready to listen to my word. Well, now how, how will you deal with my judgments? And so he speaks of these three judgments, the locust, the, the, the fire, and then the plumb line. And in the mention in the first two, he says that he, he will not follow through on them. They have come to some degree upon Israel. But he would he put a cessation to that the negativity of those two judgments of the locusts and the fire, and um, but then he raises up a third specter of judgment having to do with this plumb line. We'll go into that, but um, these are all judgments that he is speaking about, and, and the, the the logic of it is that that Israel wouldn't listen to the other things, and so now God is going to turn. To uh, in his judgments to the people. And this is our prospect, brothers and sisters, if we will not listen to the Lord. I mean, God, God speaks to us all the time. He speaks to us in his word. He speaks to us through his spirit as his spirit brings the word of God to bear upon our lives. You'll be out in the midst of, the day, of your day, of your work, your family or whatever, and all of a sudden a thought will come to you from the Bible, uh, brought to you by the Holy Spirit. Uh, of some place where you need to repent in your life, or you need to think it through, you need to do put more attention into that. Uh, what is your response to that? Do you, do you re realize that God is also the Lord of the conscience? That He speaks through the conscience, uh, usually through the Word of God, but He brings that conscience to bear upon us. And we ought to be people who are sensitive and sensitive to the things of the Lord. So that when God raises these issues with us, we we alter our behavior, we change it, and we uh, we go in the way of the Lord. Because the lesson is, if we will not listen at that level, then God will up the ante. He will up the stakes of the game. He will bring judgments upon us. This world today hates the idea that the Lord has judgments for us. That verse that I have, one of the verses of Amos that really stuck in my mind is Amos 3, uh, 3, 6b. If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? I would love to uh, be able full time to go preach in the cities of America and just not have to worry about a livelihood or any kind of a, of a, a salary or anything like that. Uh, it would be it would be fun it's fun to uh, 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 fantasize about being such a, a footloose and fancy free prophet, be able to just go and and uh, speak with some kind of authority in the different cities of our land. If if there is a, if there is evil in the city, has it not come from the Lord? People, that's the last thing that people want to think of that there's some connection between the evil that befalls us. And the existence of God, and they'll flee if they're biblical, if they're biblically uh, literate at all. They'll flee to a couple passages in the New Testament, which teach that there is not always a connection between evil and uh, the Lord's hatred of those upon whom evil falls. 
God tells us in the New Testament that uh, that uh, a t- when if a tower falls over and kills some people, it's not always uh, a one-to-one relationship there between God's wrath and God's hatred of the people and the deaths that ensued. So yes, that's true. There's not always a one-to-one relationship. But in the rest of the Bible, basically from beginning to end, in Psalm 1 that we sang this morning, God says that there is a connection between uh, our evil and the judgments that fall upon us. And it says that if we um, disburn the Lord, if we disdain him, that he will send us judgments that fall upon us. So if you read Puritan history in America, if you read the first 200 years of American history, which is kind of a remarkable term just in itself, do you know that America was basically a Puritan country for the first 200 years uh, up until about the time of the American Revolution? Uh, we were much more of a Puritan country. And in that time, whenever there were plagues or droughts or anything like that, if you read back, if you read the books of those days, the men of that day, the, the pastors would all turn and reflect, and they would ask themselves, Lord, have these things come upon us because of our iniquity? 200 years where there was some of that going on all the time. Uh, is, is there some connection, O oh Lord, between this judgment, between this difficulty, between this trial and our lives today? And that's the last, as I said, that's the last question that, that an American wants to think about or conjecture about. And if, if a pastor has the temerity to even bring that up, then most of the other pastors will come and they'll say to him, they'll quote these New Testament passages, the two that indicate that you can't always make this one for one connection. So even this thinking has even affected the household of faith and even the Napark churches, uh, by and large. They just do not uh, admit that God is connected, as it says here in Amos 3. They just won't admit to that connection. <clears throat> So uh, here we see that Amos is, has been delegated by the Lord to, co- to go from Judah, from the northern two tribes, to go to northern Israel, to the ten tribes, and to preach to them about the failure of the covenant in their hearts. They have neglected it, they have turned from it, and we see how a number of the citations are brought out in this text before us. But first of all, first of all, in terms of these judgments, he wants us to think about locusts. Now, the Lord is so graphic here. You know, it's it's very possible for us to to say abstractly, God God has judgments for us if we misbehave. But it's another thing for a prophet like Amos to, to draw out the picture, to point to point the picture for us, and to help us to understand. So here, Amos begins with locusts, then he progresses to fire and then to the plumb line. So the first thing that Amos, Amos says, the Lord showed me, behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of the, of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings. And so it was when they had finished eating the grass of the field that I said. And then he, he prays uh, that God would intercede and stop this judgment from falling. But it, it calls us to think about the locusts. Now, uh, uh, I don't know about you. Well, first of all, first of all, grasshoppers are basically the same thing. Uh, the the grasshopper, they're both in the same, uh, they're both the same insect, generally speaking. But grasshoppers are a little bit smaller, and locusts 
the, the Middle Eastern locust is a little bit larger. So whatever you think about the grasshopper, you can apply that to the locust uh, to the nth degree. And so when I think of grasshoppers, uh, I don't know, have you ever had a grasshopper white upon you at the, in the season when there are grasshoppers out? Uh, I think most of us, if the grasshopper landed upon us, we'd, go, ah! we'd shake it off right away. Now, the thing I don't like about grasshoppers is that they're, they're, their feet, they have these little hooks on their feet, and they really can get a grip on things. They can just, they land on your clothing, and they can, they can just hook those hooks in there, and if it's up to them, they can hang on pretty good. Uh, and then, if you, if you, if a grasshopper lights on you and gets those feet hooked onto your garment, and then you look at the grasshopper, they have the most steely kind of face and eyes. We, we know that their, their teeth are really sharp. I mean, the grasshopper can, as it starts to eat a plant, it goes, it goes through plants like, like a, a buzzsaw, uh, that we might hook up to an electrical place or gas saw that we have uh, running on a gas engine. And uh, those jaws will, and, and the, the worst part of locusts is, uh, and grasshoppers is that periodically the Lord will will proclaim that they would swarm that year. And so there would be many more of them and they would fly in the air and they, they got so they got so dark over Egypt that they basically shut off the sun. There were so many locusts. That's what Psalm 105 refers to when we sing that after the service. They are a real curse. And um, they are, as you look at their faces, they look like they are so ferocious. And when space trilogies and, and uh, books have been written about the future and they want to portray uh, people of outer space, they will often give them insect, uh, insect appearances. These futuristic novels and stories and poems, they'll, they'll give them futuristic appearances. And uh, you think of some of the TV shows that have portrayed this kind of person. And do their faces not look, their eyes, do they not look as harsh and foreboding as the face of a grasshopper or a locust? Um, the, the, you get no sense, as you look at these insects, you get no sense of any humanity, of any softness of heart, of any warmth of heart. All you see is the brazen aggression and uh, insecular uh, anger of the grasshopper and the locust. Well, that's what the, the Lord wanted Israel to think about. You know, he didn't, he didn't want to think about uh, locusts in the abstract. And as I said, the locust tends to be a, a larger form of the grasshopper. So whatever ill feelings you think you may conjure up about a grasshopper, you have room for even more when it comes to the locust, which is like a big grasshopper. And then when you think of them swarming, you think of clouds of them coming and just consuming things. I remember when I was a boy, uh, I we used to have apple trees in our yard. And so one of the first insect um, phenomena that I was aware of was the tent caterpillar where the, 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 in the caterpillar stage before it turned into, I don't know, it's a moth or a butterfly, but um, I think it's a moth. <clears throat> they, would, uh, they would build these, these uh, like spider webs, uh, kind of an insect web in the tree. And uh, then when those larvae hatched and they turned into uh, caterpillars, they would start crawling out of the branches and they would just eat and eat and eat and eat. And they would just, you'd see from where that nest had been, 
a hole opened up in the tree, and they would just eat everything green, consume it totally. Well, this is the same picture. This is the same image that God wanted Israel to get when he thought about the locusts, because the people of that day knew that when the locusts swarmed, that it was not a pretty picture. And all of their work, this is a poignant part of it, all of their work, all of their agricultural work, would be or could be consumed when the locusts swarmed. And that's why God brought this image to Israel's mind. Israel thought that she could live secularly, outside of the scope of the Lord. And so God said, no, all the things that you work for, all the things that your free market economy works for and obtains, I shall consume by sending the locusts down upon you. This is what he did with Egypt. Psalm 105 speaks of the Egyptian uh, eclipse when the Egyptian, the greenery of Egypt, the fields of Egypt were consumed by this insect horde. And so the Lord calls Israel to realize it doesn't matter. You may have the best plans in the world. You may they, they may work under ordinary circumstances, but when my wrath falls upon you, when I am tired of waiting for you to respond to me, and so I come upon you with my uh, contempt and my hatred, then all the things that you've labored for will be consumed. Think of the other plagues that fell upon Egypt, especially the plague of the firstborn people uh, who thought that they could rear up a whole civilization by their own power, by their own humanistic power. They didn't need the gods, the God of uh, uh, Israel. They could do it themselves. And so on Passover night, where there, there were those houses that did not have the blood of the land, protecting them. God looked upon the houses and he did not see righteousness, the righteousness of the blood. He saw only the contamination of sin. And so he fell upon those abodes and brought his judgment upon them. So it is with the locusts. Now the second the second vision of judgment is the vision of fire. I won't go into that much because we have such a fantastic illustration of that in Hawaii just recently. The, the, the deadliness, the devastation that is possible with fire. Do you know of these thousand people that are missing uh, that they cannot find? They're having trouble even finding whole bodies. It's like the, the, the whatever was there in terms of the body has been totally consumed by the flames. And so they're just looking for uh, a tooth here or there that they can then take to the lab and extract the DNA from that tooth or a skull, a piece of bone that they can take to a lab and then they can identify that with survivors, with other family members that are alive today because our DNA is so close to our fam other family members that if you find DNA in a, in a tooth or something like that in the fire, it indicates that that relative of yours that's missing was consumed, utterly consumed by the fire that was there. Fire uh, can be a wonderful um, mechanism for warming us and cooking our food and that sort of thing, or it can be a terrible phenomenon of destruction. And God challenged them with the locusts, he challenged them with the fires, and uh, um, the people of the people of Lahaina, Oahu, have really been showing the power of the destruction of the Lord with the idea of fire.
Now the last vision that he gave uh, Amos to bring to the people is his vision of the plumb line. And he calls Amos to uh, to go up on a wall. Now why would he go up on a wall? Well, if you're going to use a plumb line, a plumb line is a string that you can hold in your hand and it, you have a weight on the bottom of it. So you hold it up and you can see uh, you can see a perfect line if you're trying to divide land between uh, the left and the right. You have a, a, a mark on the landscape. You can you can hold up that that plumb line and have people in the field and they can they can go to the right and the left of their plumb line and you can even without having modern GPS or anything like that you can really um, make a line of demarcation between a right half and a left half or a boundary marker or something like that. So God has Amos go up on this high place of a wall and hold up a plumb line and he says, he's very clear, he says hold up the plumb line in the midst of Israel. Hold up the plumb line in the midst of Israel. And there uh, you will begin to compare and draw a straight line. The, the root of all ethical choices and judgments and decisions has to do with making a, a decision between what is, in, what is in one place and what is in another. What is right and what is wrong. And that's the very thing that people of this world deny can be done. They say every judgment is full of confusion. And the, the whole enterprise of Marxist criticism, as it's so called, they use the word criticism. Um, the whole point of Marxist criticism is that you can deconstruct any idea or any thought or any ethical judgment. You can analyze that and analyze that and analyze that until you make a mishmash of it so that you show the foolishness of even trying to make a decision in the first place. So this is modern wisdom. This is the wisdom of the modern university. That nothing is really true and false. That everything can be analyzed. And as we analyze it, we can see how superficial our judgments are. Well, the, the good way to, to think about this is, yes, everything can be analyzed, but that doesn't destroy the basic idea of the right and the wrong of anything. Even though you can see some ambiguity uh, in any question, you better see the, the rectitude of the question, too. You, might, you better see the right and the wrong of the question. If you just totally destroy the idea of finding right and wrong, uh, you are doing the devil's work. You're being demonic. It's only the devil who wouldn't keep, who wouldn't stop questioning our Lord Jesus Christ when he, when he tempted him in the wilderness. It's only the devil that wouldn't stop questioning Adam and Eve in Genesis. You can always raise questions. But that does not mean that there is no truth there or there is no meaning there in the big picture. And so this is the, this is the measurement or this is the vision that God gave Amos and told him to prophesy amongst the people. And um, in the end, you see Amaziah, the, the, one of the chief priests of the of the temple of Israel at that time, he just didn't like this. He was a, he he was representing the church. He was representing the the, uh, the religious part of the society, but he was way too tied in with the the, pol the political entities of the day and the government. And so right away, Amaziah puts together a book of accusations against Amos, much like is being done today against. Uh, against uh, our past president Trump 
He's bringing together these uh, this uh, 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 indictment. And now the indictments have spread in terms of Trump. The indictments have spread and spread and spread. And in this case, Amaziah is the one from the church. This comes from the church of, of, of Amos Day. Because Amos is a, a stranger in a strange land in a sense. He's a man of Judah, but he's in the northern ten tribes of Israel. And it was so easy for them to not like or to, to despise Amos as a preacher, as a prophet. And so Amaziah right away tries to raise up this indictment and he tells Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. Well, when these when people do this sort of thing, all of us are responsible to analyze the indictment. Is the indictment really righteous or is the indictment fabricated? In this case, we know for sure that it was fabricated because it was fabricated against one of the prophets of God. We don't have to think about it very long at all. Political judgments in our day, we may have to think about it a bit harder. But in this day, we know that this is the way men often behave. They will use the language of righteousness which Amaziah does. He uses the, the language of, of righteousness to work for the devil and to promote the devil's cause. It was the devil that didn't want Amos to be heard. It was the devil that wanted Amos to be taken down. And so it is there. And so um, Amaziah says in verse 12, Go, go you seer, take off, get rid of the flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread, there prophesy, but never again prophesy in Bethel, for it is the, for Bethel is the king's sanctuary and the royal residence. Well, do you not see the equivocation, the changing of definitions that's going on here by the lips of Amaziah? The same kind of thing that the Marxists are doing today in America. Taking words like male and female and refusing to acknowledge them now I suppose I, I think that I heard that there were 200 now new pronouns there's a whole dictionary of pronouns that you've got to learn before you can speak to people in this day because of all the changes in uh, vocabulary now was 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 Bethel was Samaria were they really the king's residence well yes they were in a, in a, in a manner of speaking the kings lived there but were they were, how about the king of Israel did the king of Israel live there <laughs> no he did not. He had been uh, exercised by the wicked people of that day. It was the royal residence in one sense, but not in the sense that God intended it. Amos had come to dispossess them of their, of their peace and their tranquility, but now here was a wicked Amaziah, a wicked churchman, a wicked pastor, a wicked priest, and he was working against the Lord's anointed. We would see that in the penultimate or in the ultimate expression when the religious leaders of Jesus' day worked against him, the very Son of God. It shows that there is no uh, sense of shame amongst this class of people to dissuade us uh, from the truth. They would, they would uh, take even a prophet of God and condemn his words for the sake of Satan and the false gods of, of this world. <clears throat> um, we 
time. I went to college. A year behind me at college was a man who became the editor, the academic and reference editor for Westminster John Knox Press. He was a lovely young man in the college named Donald K. McKinn. Here's one of his books today. He has published, uh, he's, he's the author and the editor of Presbyterian Beliefs, Introducing the Reformed Faith, the Encyclopedia of the Reformed Faith, uh, the Westminster Dictionary of Theological Terms. This young man, I, uh, he was a, a good friend of mine in college. He was a year behind me, so he was a little bit younger than I was. And uh, he he uh, he had he, he had the reputation of being a kind of a of a, a Sunday school student, Sunday school boy, or something like that in the college at that time. Uh, he he wasn't quite as uh, formidable or as uh, aggressive as most of the other boys, but he was a very smart kid, and he ended up he ends up that's the kind of people that become editors of uh, Westminster. Um, or the John Knox Press. John uh, Westminster John Knox Press is kind of a, it's definitely a liberal publishing company. And, um, but, uh, but, uh, uh, liberalism often likes to think of itself as moored in orthodoxy, and so they'll hire people like my, my old friend Don McKim. But, uh, so I, I, uh, uh, looked up this this year recently this year I looked up some of the books that he had published and I, I bought a couple of them to see where he was where his mind was and um, hmm. um, there's an apocryphal story he writes he wrote a catechism and he says here in, in November 1996 I tagged along with my wife Linda Joe who's also a minister on a business trip to Marco Island, Florida, which we've been down to Marco Island, or not on it actually, but by it. Instead of taking long walks on the beach, I used her laptop computer while she was in meetings to compose a catechism. For some reason, I was drawn to this challenge, and the results follow. So he's, he has this catechism that follows. And I just had to laugh at the illustration that got thought because I thought this is so much like the Don that I remember. Everybody else is out on the beach, and Don, Don is using his wife's computer to work on a catechism for himself. So I was intrigued, and I just I looked at it. I looked looked at the catechism, and of course, the first question is uh, question one: Who is God? The answer was, God is the creator of all things and the sovereign Lord of the universe who loves this world and all people freely and justly in Jesus Christ. Now, you probably don't have the, you probably don't have the acumen or the, maybe the critical spirit to begin to take those words apart, but uh, it's, you know, there's, some, there's many things there that, that are true and there are many things that sound true, but uh, you, you have to ask yourself the question, um, do, uh, does God love this world? Well, you could have asked the same questions of Amos in Israel. Does God love Israel? Even as he's talking about locusts and uh, fire and plumb lines, you see, these things are all open to judgment or evaluation. So God is the creator of all things, the sovereign Lord of the universe, who loves this world. First question, does he really love How does he love? He does love this world. He loves this world in that he sent his only begotten son, but does he love the world in an unqualified way? And he doesn't like the, he doesn't love the sin of this world, and he love who loves this world and all people. Does God love all people equally and freely? I don't think so. Not according to uh, Romans chapter eight. 
But in terms of certain theologians like Karl Barth, who my friend Don became a real fa- uh, aficionado of, yeah, uh, God loves all men, and all, all men are elect, and all men are reprobate in the Lord Jesus Christ. So taught Karl Barth. And so you get into some of the equivocation and the confusion. Uh, then he says, and justly in Jesus Christ. That, that is a really uh, uh, thorny word because uh, the Lord does love everything justly in Jesus Christ. He loves everybody righteously in Jesus Christ. But that doesn't really jive with all of the other parts of the sentence. Uh, and so um, uh, I went through and I found uh, I found many places like that where uh, I have fond memories of my friend, but uh, I can see where he's just been affected by the same kinds of things that affected ancient Israel. Uh, and Amos came and he brought a plumb line, you see, and he held it up. Now, no matter what our seminaries teach and believe, no matter what the masses of people believe, the plumb line of the Lord, this line that hangs up, God will judge us not on the basis of 50% or 51% majorities. He won't judge us based upon popularity. He's going to judge us by his plumb line, which he reveals to be the word of God, which our Lord Jesus Christ came and preached. And on account of his preaching and holding the plumb line in his day, they crucified him. And he was dead and buried. Where are we? How do we measure up? Will we acknowledge the plumb line of the Lord? Or do we invent other ways of measuring ourselves by which we come out much further ahead? Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, may we learn these lessons of Amos. May they speak to us across the centuries and even the millennia. Might we understand something of the absolute nature of thy word and thy truth and not only begotten so that we can become the most positive, creative, redemptive people imaginable in this evil world today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.